Brought to you by the Mutual Audio Network. Don't leave home without it. The following audio drama is rated PG for parental guidance. Once again, Decoder Ring Theater presents another page from the casebook of that master of mystery, that sultan of sleuthing, Martin Bracknell's immortal detective, Black Jack Justice, starring Christopher Mott as Jack and Andrea Lyons as Trixie Dixon, girl detective. It has been said more than once that there's always a calm before the storm. I don't know if that's a certified meteorological phenomenon or just an old saw gone mad, but I tend to lead towards the latter. But to be sure, there is a certain breathless anticipation in the moment before a crisis, and I can only assume that it is from this that our cliché du jour springs. At any rate, if you stretch the metaphor out, it doesn't really hold together. In fact, like so many others, it finds itself directly at odds with other bits of sage wisdom from the farmer's almanac. If a crisis comes when it's quiet, it's always calm before the storm. And if the opposite is true, it never rains but it pours. The old wives like to keep their options open. In any event, in addition to our allegedly professional pursuits, Jack and I were often able to put some of our less reliable proverbs to bed with the sort of rock-solid proof we were seldom able to scrape together in our casework, and this proved to be one of those occasions. Because just before the grey-green door of our palatial offices bust open to reveal the quivering form of Mary Lou Arden, just before she stepped timidly into the great crime lab of Justice and Dixon, private investigations dragging her own personal storm with her, it had... In fact, been raining for a day and a half. It had been the kind of rain that made a regular summer thunderstorm, with all its flash and sizzle, seem like a dilettante day in the desert. The sky had opened and seemed to be in a great hurry to rid itself of as much water as possible, as quickly as possible, and so it had remained. I was passing the time in pleasant stages, with my feet up on the radiator and the office watchdog at my side, both of us staring out the window and wondering in order if it would ever stop, if it didn't, should we build an ark, and just exactly what was a cubit anyhow. It was then that I heard the door, and turned to see what later proved to be Miss Arden, soaked to the skin through a coat that seemed entirely unsuitable for such a day, quivering with the chill, certainly, but something in her eyes suggesting that there was more. All in all, she generally looked like one of the taller, slimmer bunny rabbits you were ever likely to see, and I didn't even have to look at him to tell that she had simultaneously engaged both Jack's protective and his predatory instincts, and that I should probably just stay in my chair. Here you are, Miss Arden. A towel for your hair, as promised. Thank you, Mr. Justice. You're very resourceful. You have no idea. The coffee will be ready in a moment. I think you'll find it will take away the chill... I'll hang up your coat by the heater, but I'm not entirely sure it'll ever be dry again. I am sorry to present myself in such a state. It's not a fit day out for man nor beast. And if you ventured out in it, I can only assume that you have something serious on your mind. We're here to help. Thank you again. You're very kind. Kind and resourceful. That's our Jack. Uh, Miss Arden, my formerly and refreshingly silent partner, Miss Dixon. How do you do, Miss Dixon? Trixie, please. What brings you to us, Miss Arden? How do you mean... Well, not to be overly modest, but our offices are at least several blocks on the wrong side of the tracks and not right on a city bus line forcing a 
pretty young thing such as yourself to walk unaccompanied in the driving rain for a time. One wonders exactly why that is. This is Trixie's idea of a customer survey. Milk or sugar? Oh, a little milk, please. There we go. Oh, thank you, Mr. Justice. You're kind, resourceful, handy around the house. You can feel free to ignore her if you'd like. I know I do. Now, what's on your mind? She seemed to hold her breath just a little and just for a moment, like she was staring over a precipice and wondering whether to jump. She lifted her eyes from the floor to meet mine without changing the angle of her head. A single raindrop fell from beneath the towel she had wrapped around her long, dark hair and quickly rolled down her cheek, accenting every curve along the way like a caress. She held my eyes for a moment that passed like a far-off peal of thunder. I bit my tongue hard to stop myself from agreeing to whatever she wanted before she opened her mouth. I was referred to your offices by a young man in another agency. He said that you might be able to do more for me than he could, and promised that you would be discreet. Discretion is our watchword, which is a nice way of saying it's our bread and butter. Thank you. Do you mind if I ask whom we have to thank for this generosity? I'm sorry? The detective business isn't a robust one, Miss Arden. We aren't renowned for sharing our leads without good reason. Some of those reasons are worse than others, and it might save us all a little time if we knew who sent you out into the cold, soggy world with our address to keep you warm. Tricks, do we really have I to... shouldn't. I-, I promised I wouldn't. Ah. What is it? As much as I apologize for my partner and her upraised hackles... The fact that our unseen benefactor asked to remain anonymous only increases our need to know. But why? Because, believe it or not, there are folks out there that don't like us very much. And they outnumber those that do by a pretty wide margin. It was Braithwaite's, wasn't it? Braithwaite's? How'd you know? Lucky guess. But you can relax. There's usually one reason why the gentleman detective's boys would turn down a case. Why's that? Never mind about that. Drink your coffee while it's hot. I want to know. Because there's no money in it. I I can't pay very much, it's true. All right. But Mr. West, he said you might be able to help me. Mr. West? Oh. What is it? Mr. West said that if anyone could help me, it was you two. Did he mention our names kind of quietly? As though he might be fired for the mere thought of us? Well, yes. I may help myself to a little warm-up from the office bottle. Would anyone care to join me? I don't understand. Two here, please, barkeep. Coming up. Miss Arden, it is true that we have some history with this particular agency, and it is fair to say that its owner-operator would be quite pleased to see us lose our licenses, or worse. But I wouldn't be telling tales very far out of school if I mentioned that their operative Theodore West, who is known in these parts as Button-Down Theo, carries something of a torch for my partner. Shut up. I know, but the heart wants what it wants. If button-down Theo sent you to us, it might be bad news for us, mostly because he knows we sometimes enjoy that kind of thing. But it's not likely a trap, which is a pleasant enough place to start and brings us more or less back to where we came in. But with three whiskeys. Bravo. I know we may have cut your momentum off at the knees somewhat, And if I read your eyes right, it isn't a story you relish repeating for the second time today. But we'll help you if we can. A small toast. What? All right. Success to crime. She watched us both a moment and then took a little whiskey herself. Just enough to make the telling easier. Not enough to get sloppy, but more than she'd likely have had if she were trying to be careful. 
It was Miss Dixon's good old-fashioned booze test, and she passed with flying colors. She set her glass down and picked up the cup of Costa Rica Jack had handed her, taking a small sip quickly to quell the burning of the so-cheap-it's-barely-scotch. She took a breath and gazed into the middle distance, her eyeline taking in the floor about six feet in front of her. Battered, but not bowed. I was starting to come around on Mary Lou Arden. You know what the hardest thing is about admitting that you've been a fool? It isn't telling the story, though that's bad enough. It's that when you tell the story, the ending seems so obvious, even from the beginning. The detective office setting has that effect. There was a man... Is it that obvious? It's not a unique way to begin. His name? Paul Trent. I met him in the bookshop where I work. He came in one day quite by chance, and we talked for a while. He was quite devilishly handsome and very charming. I admit I was taken with him at once. I was probably more familiar than I should have been, but it seemed so harmless. Soon he was walking past two perfectly good newsstands on the corner to buy his newspaper from me. He was only in the shop for a few moments each day, but there was something in his eyes. Something that made that innocent gesture feel anything but. It was a giddy little thrill, and I enjoyed it. It seems like such a long time ago now. You started seeing him socially? Yes. And at what point did it become clear that there was a Mrs. Trent? See, I told you the ending was obvious. There are a limited number of things that could have brought you to our door, Miss Arden. I suppose so. At first it was quite exciting. Paul was very attentive. Then he began turning up late when we were supposed to meet, sometimes missing dates altogether. I thought it was just work. Turns out I was part right. It was his secretary. Ouch. I tried to break it off with him. He swore that she meant nothing to him. Of course, he was telling the truth, and would have been when he said the same thing about me. I didn't believe any of it. I stopped seeing him. But he wouldn't take no for an answer. He kept coming around the shop, sending flowers to my apartment. He told me that he'd got rid of his secretary, sent her elsewhere in the company. Possibly true, though there might have been other reasons. I know it. But he seemed so... Oh, I'm a fool. He seemed so sincere, so repentant, so much sweeter than he'd ever been. I'm sure he must have had lots of practice. But in the end, he, he just wore me down. I started seeing him again. And I thought that we were happy. I thought... It doesn't matter what I thought. A few weeks passed and Paul's sweetness cooled again. But he was still... It's difficult to tell this without feeling like an idiot. I suppose I deserve what I get. Miss Arden. I don't really remember the exact sequence of what happened next. It all happened within a day or so. I got a look at Paul's new secretary... And I knew at once that he had just traded in for a newer model. She was a knockout. Very brassy. Not a bit like me. I suppose that was part of the point. I imagine that I am nothing like his wife, though I've never seen her. Yes, this is when I found out about that. Ironic. If I hadn't been snooping about the secretary, I don't know how long it would have been before I learned what a louse he really was. And I really thought that he was... In spite of everything, I really did... I told him that I never wanted to see him again. How did that go? Not exactly well. He couldn't have been more different than the time before. He was furious. He was caught and he knew it. He pushed his way into my apartment, told me that he wasn't... He wasn't finished with me yet. 
that he'd tell me when it was over and not before. And what did you say to that? I told him that I'd scream for a policeman. And he just laughed. And why exactly was that funny? He said no one would believe me. Said he was a successful businessman and I was some girl that worked in a shop. I asked how successful he would be if his employer knew how he spent his off hours. He just laughed again. He told me this wasn't a road I wanted to go down. Said that if I did, I would never live it down. Did he say what that meant? He said that he had... That he had pictures. Pictures that I wouldn't want anyone to see. Does he? I don't know. I, I don't know. I haven't seen them. But he described them in great detail. He said he could absolutely ruin me, and he's right. Do you think he's bluffing? I don't know. I told him... I told him that if he didn't give me the pictures and the negatives, I would go to his wife, tell her everything. He smiled and leaned in close to me. He told me that if I ever went anywhere near his wife, he would kill me. He said it with a smile that I'd never seen before. Said it soft and gently like it was a love poem. He said I wasn't the first to threaten it and I wouldn't be the last, and that if he even thought that I meant to do it, he would kill me too. Too? That's what he said. And he said it with a smile. I knew that he would too. I, I was shaking all over. I didn't know what to do. I don't know if there's anything you can do for me, if there's anything anyone can do for me, but I know that Paul means to keep... I know he won't stop until he gets bored with tormenting me, and even then I'm terribly afraid what he means to do. We three sat in silence for a moment. I didn't have to look to know that my partner's eyes were as cold as any stone. The moment was broken as Jack pushed his chair back and made for the office bottle. Miss Arden watched him as he moved, her hands shaking a little, waiting to be told that she was a stupid girl and should stop wasting our time, which looked to be what she expected. I glanced over at Jack as he replenished his scotch. He was calm and quiet, but his knuckles were white as he held the glass. The rain pelted the old windows as if it were finally ready to come bursting in and wash us all away. At last he spoke. Theo didn't send her to you, Trix. I'm sorry? What? I know you like to help out a gal in trouble. So does your little boyfriend in the pinstripes. But he didn't send her to you. Even if she'd had a million dollars, which she does not, the gentleman detective and all his industrious cub scouts couldn't have done anything for her. What do you mean? I mean, there isn't a lot of according to Hoyle investigating to be done here. This isn't exactly a mystery. Theo can't do what needs to get done. Jack, try and make a little bit of sense, would you? He didn't send her to you, Trixie. He sent her to me. You are listening to Blackjack Justice from DecoderRingTheater.com. I hated to admit that Jack was right. If you follow these ribald little tales of adventure, you know that is a truism and applies to just about any situation. But for the moment, that's beside the point. And it is true that my one-man fan club at Braithwaite's knew that we could often handle the kinds of case that eluded the big, bright detecting machine in which he was a sprocket or a junior cog. And I'd like to think that he'd send us an ugly mess and a nominal fee the way an ordinary man sends flowers. And if he had, 
I'd have said that he was making progress at last. But Jack was probably right. Theo's Boy Scout hackles were as overdeveloped as Jack's were, and, as one who had doubtless grown up meek and mild, he recognized Paul Trent for what he was, a bully. And he probably knew that the most satisfying way to deal with a bully was to sick a bigger bully on him. In fact, Theo regarded Jack as more of a thug than a bully, and while that wasn't necessarily entirely fair, it was pretty close, so I gave it to him on points. But as much as I tended to agree with Jack about Theo's motives, I wasn't quite as eager to leap on board with the savage beating that the pair of them seemed to regard as step one. I've been lied to by the very best of the very worst, and am for reasons of basic biology far less likely than my partner to be taken in by the delicate features and rain-soaked hair of our brave but helpless client. Sorry if that seems ungenerous. So I had a little scouting mission in mind. Miss Arden supplied a full description and a little background information like the name of the bar that Paul Trent liked to stop in after work. With a wife and at least two mistresses, I wondered how he found the time. We were about as far as you could be from being the same type, though if our client was right, Trent liked a little variety in his stable and I was banking on being the filly that a grade A louse just couldn't resist, something I knew from long experience. I slipped off into the storm and made my way down to the watering hole in question, which was relaxed but more expensive than your average riffraff could afford, which is probably why I'd never been there before. It was five blocks and two bars away from Trent's office, which probably cut down on the crowds from his office, making it easier for extracurricular activities, if that's what he had in mind. I tried to push such thoughts from my mind. After all, I had come here to keep the storm from breaking on an innocent man, if such a creature could be found. Mary Lou Arden had told me that at some point he'd probably get a faraway look in his eye and announce that my hair smelled like flowers. I struggled to give him a little more credit as I settled in at the bar three seats down from Trent and ordered a drink. If he was going to try something, I hoped he'd do it fast. There were at least a half a dozen suits and ties eyeing up the empty chairs on either side of Miss Dixon, and as much as that sounded like fun, I didn't really have the time. I don't remember seeing you in here before. And that is the sort of thing you're likely to recall? Don't see how I could possibly forget it. Then I must be new here. <laughs> My name is Paul. Mine's Trixie. Listen, Paul, I really just came in for a quiet drink. As did I. No reason we can't have a quiet drink together, is there? Doesn't sound all that quiet. Maybe not. <laughs> is that such a bad thing? That's quite the disarming grin you've got there. You could strip paint with that. Thanks, I think. Jerry, I'll have another drink. So will the lady. You're not the kind that takes no for an answer, are you? I haven't heard you say any such thing. You can't fill in the blanks? Sure I can. <laughs> Where's the fun in that? Is this your hobby? What? Bantering with blondes in bars. Sounds like a good one, doesn't it? I've heard worse. Anyway, I don't make a habit of it. But you made an exception for little old me? Something like that. Thanks, Jerry. You're here often enough for it, aren't you? What makes you say that? You know the bartender's first name. I'm a friendly guy. I noticed. You also must be here often enough to approach a lady with haven't seen you here before and be pretty confident that you're right. What are you, some kind of detective? Hmm, a girl detective. That'd be rich, wouldn't it? I guess it would. The truth is, I work around here. I stop by sometimes in the evenings. I'm in sales. Isn't everybody? Got kind of a funny way about you, you know that? I get that a lot. I'll bet. What about you, Trixie? 
What do you do? Maybe I just drift into bars, act aloof, and wait for a salesman to buy me a drink. How are the hours? Lousy. But some of the minutes aren't that bad, though. Is this one of them? What if it was? Just making conversation. Try talking about the weather. Some kind of rain we've been having. It is. It really is. It's been quite the storm. But they say it's going to break. I've got a feeling you ain't seen nothing yet. It's a remarkable thing. What is? That a girl can walk out of that kind of storm and have her hair smell this much like flowers. Like flowers? Yeah. You get a lot of mileage out of that line, or do you think it's the faraway look in your eyes? What makes you so sure it's a line? I'm sure of nothing, Paul. Nothing except the fact that I just met a salesman who can't tell soap from flowers, which suggests, if nothing else, that you don't sell either of those. Look, I have to go, but it was nice meeting you. Likewise. Will I see you again? I'd be astonished if you didn't. He smiled at that, which means he didn't catch the portent hanging like another, much more private storm brewing right over his head. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking that the cornball phrase was what settled my mind. But he sold himself down the river before he opened his mouth. It's not that difficult to remove a wedding ring without being seen doing it, unless a girl detective is watching for the motion out of the corner of her eye. I dropped a nickel in the payphone on the way out and told Jack it was plan A, which was convenient since we didn't have a plan B. Trent was another 45 minutes in the bar, which may not sound like a long time, but when you're waiting in a cold car, trying not to be lulled by the irregular bossa nova the rain was beating on the car, it can feel like an eternity. It was the waiting that I hated. Waiting for an ill-defined something to happen was one thing, but when you knew perfectly well what it was, you had resolved yourself to conflict, tightened your guts to rein in the adrenaline, given your fists the last creaky stretch before what was to come, and then let all that perfectly good fire go cold. It was frustrating. It made you wonder somewhere in the back of your mind, wonder if that fire would ever be there again when you needed it, or if this was that time that the engine would come up empty. It reminded me of the war. I hated being reminded of the war. I made a mental note to take that out on Paul Trent. At last he stepped from the door, clutching his raincoat around his neck and glancing up at the deluge above to see if there wasn't some sign that it would relent just for him. One of the thousand useless gestures that a man makes every day. Gestures that you never see unless your lot in life is to watch from a cold car and bide your time. He made his way up the street checking back every few feet for a taxi cab that wasn't likely to come. That made this more difficult. The rain had long ago washed all bystanders away and left the streets just to us. That made things easier. I slipped from the car and closed the door as silently as I could and fell into step behind Paul Trent. For a couple of blocks, we walked along like that, the brightly lit spaces of open businesses growing fewer and further between. He was a big guy. That can be good can be bad. Doesn't mean much. Might mean he isn't used to being scared. Might mean he's got no reason to be. After the fourth time he checked over his shoulder for a taxi, he turned just a little more, like he'd seen something that he wasn't sure was there. I knew I'd been made, but hiding wasn't really the point. He walked on, stiffer and faster than before. It was a good while before he turned again, but when he did, there I was. A looming shadow in the pouring rain just a few feet behind now. 
His head turned away quickly. I could tell he was fighting not to break into a run. I felt a little smile creep across my face. Another dozen feet, we'd be passing an alleyway on the right. Then he was mine. Trent seemed to sense it. I wondered if in that moment he knew, not just what was about to happen, but why. There was an icy river running down my back. I wondered if Paul Trent was remembering the war, too, and felt sick in the pit of my stomach. It wasn't a nice feeling. I dealt with it by grabbing Trent by the shoulders and heaving him through the air into the trash cans at the mouth of the alley. He tried to scramble to his feet, but his smooth office worker's shoes were useless. I put a left cross across the side of his head, just as an opener. Just a little greeting card, to get his attention. I got it. He threw what you might call a punch in my general direction. It had been a lot of years since anyone that punched that bad had actually hit me, and today was not going to be the day. Trent staggered forward with his own momentum, and I clipped him with an uppercut to the jaw that took in a little of the nose on the way up. He staggered and swayed a little, and I made a note to stay away from the head for a while. At least if I wanted him awake for this, which I did. It was time to make my introductions. Please. Please, don't! Paul Trent. What? Mary Lou Arden says hello. That's always the moment. Whatever else happens. The moment when they realize they aren't being mugged. That this isn't random. That they aren't the victim. That's the moment that does the trick, if this kind of stunt is going to work. The rest is about reinforcing the idea. I set about reinforcing it with a series of body blows that broke at least three of his ribs. I felt them go. It's a sensation that I can't describe, nor do you want to fully appreciate it. It is at once intensely satisfying and leaves one hating oneself even more. I worked through these unwelcome feelings with some methodical work on Trent's stomach, which he did not seem to appreciate. He seemed to be sobbing a little. I provided a right cross that gave him an excuse to sit down a little. He took advantage of the opportunity. Any questions? Mary Lou sent you. Didn't think she had it in her? Who are you? Name's Justice. Jack Justice. You better have a good lawyer. You gonna sue me, Paul? Even my lawyer would know enough to put you on the stand. And my client. What will your wife think of that? I'll have you arrested. Well, see, you've got a little problem there, too. Namely, a certain police lieutenant in these parts who has a 16-year-old daughter that reminds me a lot of Mary Lou Arden. I just bet he'd see it that way, too. Give me an excuse to get him involved, and he'll hurt you in ways I never could. Now, shut up. These are the rules. Mary Lou Arden is off-limits. You've never heard of Mary Lou Arden. Her apartment, the bookstore... You don't set foot within five blocks. If you do, you're done. Done! And she wants the pictures. Pictures? You know damn well what I'm talking about. There never were any pictures. Do you know how easy this would be, Trent? God. Please don't kill me. Total stranger in an alley. What do you think the odds they would ever find me? Please. Please, put the gun away. It gets even easier for my client if I spray the back of your head all over this alley, you know. You think you don't deserve it? There never were any pictures. I swear. I was just trying to scare her. I'd have said anything. Please. I smacked him in the puss with my forty-five, which, contrary to his expectations, I had no intention of using for any other purpose. That stopped his whining and gave renewed vigor to his sobbing. I was sure there were no pictures. A blowhard like Paul Trent always folds when you call his bluff. And there was no way this cream puff took a pistol whipping and stuck to a lie. I left him there in the alley. 
disappeared back into the ring without another word. I wondered what he'd do. If he folded his tents, he'd make out all right. Sure, he'd taken some lumps, but he could explain them away however he wanted. Say he'd been mugged, whatever. No skin off my nose. The job, the wife, the hot and cold running secretaries. He still had it all. Part of me wondered if it would be enough. Most of me knew that it wouldn't. They always had to do things the hard way. Who is it? Who's there? Whoever you are, get out of here before I call the police. You think you're awful clever, don't you? Paul! Have you gone crazy? That's right, I'm crazy. Get out of here. You know what makes me crazy? Stupid little girls and their stupid stunts. Get out of here. I'm warning you. Warning me? <laughs> what are you going to do, Mary Lou? Sick your bulldog on me again? I was very slick. I didn't think you had it in you. Where did you find a gorilla like that anyway? Get out of here. This is your last warning. Don't make me laugh. <laughs> no one treats me like this. You think you can get away with this? Your face doesn't look so good, Paul. You don't want to know what it's going to look like if you don't get out of here right this second. <laughs> you should hang around with these rough types more often. It improves your banter. I hate you. Good. That makes the rest of this easier. Paul, put that gun away. Thought I knew you, princess. Thought you were soft and weak and stupid like the rest. <laughs> I never saw this coming. But that means that I have no idea what you're capable of. And I can't take that kind of risk. Paul, don't do this. You don't leave me any choice. You think I'm prepared to risk everything I have over you? Let you bleed me dry or worse? I've never said any such thing. I just want you to go. Leave me alone. I don't believe you. Besides, I owe you for tonight. Don't! And if your little playmate gets sore, he'll get the same. He won't take me by surprise again. You aren't thinking straight. You'll never get away with this. Don't count too much on your hired muscles, sweetheart. You can only buy so much loyalty. Especially on your budget. Now you and I are going to take a little ride. Where are we going? Doesn't matter, really. Because you're not coming back. All right, I've heard enough. What the... Drop the gun, Trent. You! That's right, me. Now drop the gun. What are you doing here? Put the gun down. This is a citizen's arrest. What? Breaking and entering, assault with a deadly and uttering threats, with a side order of kidnapping and attempted murder, if the DA can make them stick. Now put it down, or I put you down. This is insane. I'm through talking, Peaches. Paul, for God's sake, drop the gun! Why, you little... Hey... That was fast. Yeah. Sabian didn't think I'd be getting any medals, and he said something about not leaving town, but I don't think he liked Paul Trent very much. I think Paul Trent is lucky you put two slugs in him before he met Sabian. Yeah, and about that... They say he'll be fine. Soft tissue wounds, I heard the doctor say. Probably not the ending you wanted. It's an ending. That's what I wanted. We're sure about that part? You were pretty bang on with the list of charges. I don't think we'll be seeing Paul Trent for a while... When he does see daylight again, I'll reckon he'll have bigger problems. And if I'm wrong, you have our number. I do. I can't thank you enough for everything. We didn't do anything particularly clever. Just bruised some knuckles and handed out some soft tissue wounds. In fact, we were about eight feet this side of being criminals ourselves. Maybe not even that much. 
You even the odds when I had nowhere else to turn. That's no small thing. And I'll never forget it. Thank you both. Good luck. Well, tall, dark, and wistful, you gonna go after her or just watch her go? Watch her go. It's my bit. It's a lousy bit. Stings less. What does that mean? It means every time I meet a nice girl, she's been recently put off all men types for a good while. There are at least 36 jokes that I'm not making right now. And I appreciate that. Happy birthday. What about you? You gonna call up button-down Theo? Give him a bird dog fee of a lifetime? You'd think that, wouldn't you? But no. Is there something wrong with us? Do you really have to ask that question? I really do. Once in a blue moon, I really do. Come on. I'll buy you a bourbon if anything's open. I mean it. You know why there's enough of an excess supply out there that jerks like Paul Trent can stock up to the ceiling? Because perfectly good romantic leads like you and me continue to write ourselves out of the happy endings. It's our bit. It's a lousy bit. Listen, Peaches, you just earned your keep by breaking a guy's ribs, and I took the only fella who put the moves on me today and put two slugs in his abdomen. In what way does this constitute perfectly good romantic leads? I was grading on a curve. That's tough but fair. Hey, will you look at that? What? Looks like the storm finally broke after all. Yeah, well, it was bound to happen, I guess. Most things are, eventually. You really believe that? No. Jack wasn't wrong, but that would be twice in a single day, so there's no way I would ever admit that to a living soul. But these things don't distribute fairly. Take Paul Trent. He did get a little jail time, though not as much as he deserved. Lost his job, and as far as I know, he never came within a hundred yards of Mary Lou Arden again. But the unseen Mrs. Trent? She stuck with him the whole way. Waited for him when he was in lockup. And as far as I know, they're together still. And if Paul Trent ever did a single thing to deserve that kind of love and loyalty, I can't imagine what it could have been. There had been a dearth of romantic endings in our little corner of the globe for a good long time now, and maybe we just got used to it. But a girl detective has to live in hope. After all, it's always calm before the storm. Blackjack Justice, episode 32, Stormy Weather, was written and directed by Greg Taylor and starred Christopher Mott and Andrea Lyons with additional voices supplied by Peter Nickel and Clarissa Dunetterlanden. This recording and the story, characters, and situations depicted within are the property of their author and creator and protected by copyright. Until next time, remember, DecoderRingTheater.com is your address to adventure. Hi, I'm Persephone Rose, executive producer for Postal Roach and the creator of Emperor Pigs. I'm a huge fan of audio drama, and if you're listening to this right now, I've got a sneaking suspicion you might be too. So make sure your headphones are plugged in tight, because you're going to want to hear this. From July 24th through the 26th in 2020, producers, directors, composers, writers, actors, technicians, and fans of audio drama are gathering together for the world's first international modern audio drama convention in Halifax, Nova Scotia. This is going to be amazing. If you like panels, there's going to be panels. Workshops, they've got them. Studio sessions, swag events, live performances... And most importantly, all your favorite creators are going to be there. You can get all the details and purchase your tickets online at www.madcon.com. That's M-A-D hyphen C-O-N dot com. See you at MadCon.